0: Folks, good to have you with us here on The Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. On our way to this conversation about our world here in Baltimore and around, I want to remind you The Mark Steiner Show is brought to you in part by MeQ, Baltimore's Credit Union, been offering full range of financial services for the last 80 years. MeQ, Baltimore's Credit Union, is helping its members and its community prosper. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. Remember, it's a credit union, not just a bank, belongs to you, and money comes back in the end. More information at www.mecu.com or at steinershow.org is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner. We'll return local this hour uh, with your help at 410-319-8888, and you can also tweet us at Mark Steiner, send us an email to talk at steinershow.org, what you think are the most critical issues that we're facing here in our c- city and state and metro area. Uh, we're here with Dana Pe- Peterson, who stays, Dana Peterson Moore, excuse me, still married, who stays <laughs> still with it. Yes, I am still married. Right? It's, it's, I almost left out the more by accident. Yeah, accident, total. That's my fuzzy head. Um, and it's a community activist, member of the Baltimore City Liquor Board, uh, local attorney, former chair of the City Ethics Board, past president of the Charles Village Civic Association, uh, is with us in house. Ray Kelly's here, uh, who is Director of Community Relations. Is that right, Ray? Yep. At No Boundaries Coalition, one of the more effective groups in our community doing that work. Good to have you here in the studio. Thanks for having me. Kim Chuhart, longtime citizen, act- citizen activist, retired Navy veteran, uh, and a former candidate for Baltimore City Council president and constant presence at every city uh, meeting and function that exists in the, in the town. Good to have you here.
1: Thank you, Mark, for having
0: me. 410-319-8888 is the number here to join in on this conversation. I was thinking about starting here. Uh, there's a bunch of places to start. But I'm in reading the paper... Over the weekend, the Sun, the, by the paper, I mean the Sun Papers, what the, the, the piece that they uh, did um, on Jill Carter, which I thought was just a really lovely piece about her and her father. Uh, I knew her father really well back in the day when I was a young man, a really young man, really, really young man, but I knew him well. Um, uh, and he was, I always thought of as a mentor to me uh, and as somebody who was one of the most thoughtful Revolutionary, serious activists I've ever known, who didn't stand for a lot of BS in this world, and and just stood up to it. And they compared her to him. And I and I you know I, and uh, uh, and now she is working for the mayor. And that shocks some people, given the things that she's done and stood for uh, over the years. But one of the things that comes under her is the civilian review board. And if there is ever a touchstone in terms of a battle over how you rein in police behavior and change things in our city, that dy- that particular dynamic, it would be a civilian <laughs> review board with teeth. It has no teeth at the moment legally. So what are our thoughts about that? I mean, we, we, I, I start there just because that's where you all started when we were sitting here informally talking before the show began. So I'm just curious. And Kim, I'll let you begin.
1: I am hopeful. Um, first of all, Delegate Jill Carter in in Annapolis was my um, representative in the forty first district, and um, I liked her then. Um, the flattering article that Luke Broadwater did this weekend, you know, brought to light uh, her talents, brought to light her legacy, um, her father's legacy, um, and then it 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 shined a light on the process itself and how it's already evolving under her leadership. Um, I attended the Executive Appointments Committee hearing at City Hall for all the new members um, nominated by the mayor to the Civilian Review Board. It was interesting because I went into that session not knowing any of these people. And um, when I got up and testified, one of few people who testified, I... Um, it was um, me trying to, to impart on them their commitment to us. Right? And my, to my disappointment, I asked the question, do any of you know someone who's been abused, brutalized by the police? And the answer was no. Now mind you, it was not all nine members in attendance. Um, but it was, um, it was just disappointing to hear that. But, but I'm still hopeful in Jill's leadership.
0: Ray?
2: And, and I have to agree with Kim. I'm, so we kind of pushed the Civilian Review Board issue with No Boundaries maybe four or five years ago, and then Delegate Jill Carter was one of the people we went to for advice and structure. So I, it was kind of surprising that she came under this administration, but not to me in the criminal the civil rights division at all because that is her passion and I have spoke to her since she's been in that position and she is looking to actually create a some conduit of accountability within the police department. So I think <clears throat> with the consent decree and the mandates to kind of strengthen the civilian review board and the uh C O T V, the Civilian Oversight Task Force that is actually focused on this first in the consent decree process, I think with her at the helm of it, there's a possibility that this could actually be a trusted agency for community resolution.
3: Um well first of all I'm I'm really pleased to be here with Kim and, and Ray, two people that are really making a difference in Baltimore and I have imminent or immense respect for both of you. Thank you, Dana. Um, thank you, Dana. I t- truly. Um, in fact, Kim, I've called privately. It's like, are, are we doing OK? <laughs> How should I do this? What do you think? So Kim, Kim is a, a, a personal resource for, for me. I probably shouldn't disclose that. But, but anyway, because I mean, I they, they're righteous and, and um, they, they are um, on the ground and they know what they're talking about. Uh, Walter Carter, Jill's father, his picture is in, in my home. Um, a lot of you know I am still married to Ralph Moore, who knew him well who knew him, <laughs> who knew, well, who knew him very, very well, and he he too considered Walter Carter as one of his heroes. When Jill took her position with um, Mayor Catherine Pugh, um, I think a lot of people were surprised, but Ralph felt, and I agree, that she was the right person to take that job because she herself is righteous, and she's not. Um, someone who's going to take a position just to sort of fill it and and move things along and and be a, a pacifist. I think uh, she's. I mean, the article speaks to somebody who's really really committed to to civil rights, and I think she'll do do the right thing and make the right things happen. Um, I don't know for a fact, but I, I perhaps might be the only person at this table today who has actually had a matter before the C- Civilian Review Board. This was way back in 2000. Um, I had a very negative encounter with one police officer who threatened to pull me through the window of my car and have me arrested. My offense was simply passing him on Light Street. Mm. That is all I did. It was about 11.50 p.m. just before mo- the Saturday, uh, before Mother's Day 2000. And it was a very frightening encounter. It was very ugly. It it felt I was alone. I was by myself. It felt that um, I was very much threatened, and I did end up filing a formal complaint, and it went exactly nowhere. Yeah, that, There was no teeth. There was no seriousness in receiving that complaint. There was no seriousness in handling that complaint. So... And and, you know, I I share that story. Uh, We we don't know what a person's path is. We don't. You can't look at a person and say, "Well, that's someone who's been a victim, and that's someone who hasn't." Um, It's something that's happened. It um, it still happens. Um, I I believe that what Jill is trying to create is going to give some real teeth to to persons who who have these very negative encounters. Uh, But I also know this. If there isn't teeth, the Ray Kellys of the city and the Kim Truehearts of the city are going to speak out.
0: Right. We'll, we'll see. I mean, one of the things now is the is the is the legal issue of, of, around civilian review, review boards that don't have the power uh, to recommend indictment. Doesn't have the power. That to has subpoena. subpoena power. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Pardon?
3: They need to have subpoena. They, have power. Su- they
0: need to have subpoena power. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm glad you said that. And so so they don't have that. So the question is, you can have investigators and other people in there. That can cause a ruckus, <clears throat> but then that causes internal turmoil without the power and just the ruckus. That will cause internal turmoil politically inside the Pew administration <clears> that's <throat> already kind of getting some flack because, pardon me, I'm, sorry, I'm a little bit in here, pardon my throat. Um, but, but let's say, look at the budget. There's no money. Some people are upset there's no money in the budget for safe streets. Uh, and, and and taking money from somewhere else to put it in there, let's say the police department put it in for the safe streets, that for all the critique you might have a Safe Street, and some people I know who are community people do have some critique, that notwithstanding, it has done a lot to ameliorate the violence that takes place in certain communities. So, I mean, there's a lot of contradictions here, it seems mm-hmm.
1: to me. Oh, heck of a lot. Yeah. Um, it- Dana, I love you too, right? So thank you. You know, I, I'm, I'm a fan. I watch all of the liquor board hearing videos online, right? And and you are my hero. Well, thank um, you. Okay, so so yes, the the fact that she's got these young investigators in her office, um, and and I met them and shook their hands after the hearing, and and you know that's a good thing because she's got energy. She's got folks who want to do their job and are committed to it. Now, it is up to us on the outside to push this administration, to push the folks in Annapolis, to give us the power to have true civilian oversight of our police department. I think we've made some strides in that direction. I think there's still more to do. And so I, I plan to continue to push it, um, You know, right now, you know, we've asked for reform of our police department and we got a consent decree that I am adamant does not reform this police department. And until we get the reforms that are necessary to show that that department can respectfully police our communities, we're going to stand up and and be yelling and vocal and and it's got to change.
2: And I, I agree with him. I believe that even though we have this whole CRB transformation happening, it's still going to be up to our advocacy to actually get law enforcement and the law enforcement officers' Bill of Rights actually changed so we can have substantive oversight. We all, It's up to us to keep advocating and keep the pressure on until we have this – moment in time, so to speak, where right now we have all of these stars aligned to actually create a strong civilian review board. So our job as advocates is going to be to expose every weakness. Every time there's some kind of obstacle, we make sure it's addressed right then and there while they're actually structuring. And like Kim said, it's The most important part of all of it is to keep the pressure on everyone to be accountable and if they actually want to see these true reforms that are laid out to actually get behind all of us and make sure that we push this work in Annapolis because there there's a lot of strong mandates that by law can't happen yet in this consent decree that we have to pretty much force our state legislation to act in the best interest of our city and our communities. And we have to talk about the budget
1: and the priorities in the budget. And you know, not to, to, to jump in here, but you know, well, you can jump anyway. yeah, <laughs> in. <right here>. Uh, <laughs> oh, go ahead,.: You know this, this, this issue of, of where <laughs> our money gets spent, it's our money. And the mayor put a budget on the table that has yet not been finalized. It will be in the coming weeks finalized. But that budget, she comes out the gate trying to help our schools. Fine, but it wasn't far enough right? She comes out the gate saying, I'm going to spend $10 million on red light speed cameras, right? And we're only going to make, based on their own estimates, $8 I don't get that math, so I'm not going to go there. But the fact that we're not funding safe streets, right? Those are priorities that the community has put on the table. I don't recall championing Speed light, red cameras, red. Uh, that, that's not something that's ever come out of my mouth, right? Right? It doesn't improve the quality of life in our, in our communities. Um, you know, it's regressive. It, it, is, it is absolutely taking money out of our communities. But yet that is one of her things that she is pushing, right? And she's going to put it in place in
0: a week. <laughs> come on. So, let me get to the you want to jump in, Dana? Before no. Before I go to the phones?
3: Um, no, let's go to the
0: phones. 410-319-8888. Your thoughts? Um, I have some questions I'm going to bring up as well, but let me get your thoughts. Uh, 410-319-8888. Charlene, you're on the air. Welcome.
4: Good
5: morning. Good morning,
0: Charlene. How are you? Very well. Well, not really, but I'm okay. <laughs> yeah,
5: well, you know, we got to keep it moving. we got to appreciate take the good and the bad. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's a struggle out here, and... You know, as a woman, as a black woman here in Baltimore City, I'm a native of Wilmington, Delaware. And um, recently, I was in the Lithicum area using my GPS, and, and I just simply pulled over to get my directions and whatnot on my little device. And a pickup truck that stopped in the, you know, at the intersection just passing by, the guy in the middle of the car, the uh, front seat, it was a pickup truck, he just yelled out, you know, you asking n words, And I'm like, what the, f-? you know, like, really? What, it, it just threw me, I was in awe. My mouth was just stuck, like, really? Like, that's how comfortable you are, really? Just, I mean, before it was like that um, subtle racist stuff. People would do things and, but now it's just like so bold with this new administration. And it's a, it's a frightening feeling and, the, you know we hear about women being kidnapped and a lot of the protectors from our community are gone and you know it's like if you're missing an action because of whatever activities you deal in, if you choose to just be apart from your family or the women and children that need the guidance and the direction and the protection of the men you know like really we're, we're very vulnerable out here and we have to align ourselves and, and one of the ways i like to also appreciate and, and say big respects to my friend Ray Kelly, I believe I've heard on the air, who's in the studio. I've also worked with him with No Boundaries, volunteering, helping with Fresh at the Avenue, and enlightening the community with just simple things. There's so much work to do. It's very easy to find a place to fit in if you just want to. And, and, and it's no time for people not to want to help our people. It, you know. And I think back to back, um, when that we are the world campaign was going on, it, it was multicultural. Everybody joined in on that, and that's where we need to be at. Like right now, we are the world. No one wants to be victimized. No one wants to be terrorized, and it doesn't matter what color you are. You want to go home at the end of the day to your family, and, uh, and a lot of these racist people don't want to see you go home. They don't want to see me go home. They they never did, and if it was shit. up to we really still be getting
0: whipped across our back. So I appreciate the call. I'm glad you you called and that's part of what we were talking about last hour but it doesn't completely, I mean it doesn't completely not fit into what we're talking about this hour either because we're talking about our city which is a majority black city uh, and I think there's a lot here that has to do with power and relationships in our own communities that are kind of to me directly related to what Charlene was just talking about that happens on a very visceral personal level with and racism you confront around you all the time. You know, I mean, so we can. seems to me, though, that, you know, sometimes you put the cart before the horse on the way back to phones, and Ernest, you're the next caller up, and Hank, we're going to get to your call, and Shannon, we're going to get to your call. But sometimes you put the cart before the horse. So... I think it's really important to have a civilian review board that has teeth. Subpoena power, power to exonerate and indict. A serious civilian review board. And have civilians on police review boards who are independently selected and not selected by just people in power who are going to be yes men, yes women to the police. I think that's important. And not people who just want to attack the police either, but people who are going to have independent minds. Mm-hmm. Right, I think all that's important mm-hmm. that goes that but the other part is you know when you read right on campus here there's a there's a professor, Dr. Lawrence Brown, who I think has done some of the most original thinking that I've seen anywhere in the country around race and development and economy and economics. In urban areas. He's done really great work. He created this whole thing about the 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 white L and the black butterfly in terms of where development of money goes in our city. And now people all over Baltimore are using his using that terminology right. that he created, right? Yeah. So I'm saying that to say he's been writing a bunch of other stuff recently, and I've been reading a lot about these articles from him, from others around the country on gentrification and how we build our city out. And when you have people deciding what the city is going to look like, and they're all people who are mostly white and have, and, and have lots of money and control the development process from the top. You can have civilian rewards all day long and hold the police accountable, which is important. I mean, I'm not denigrating that. I mean, it is important because as your report pointed out for No Boundaries Coalition, Ray, to what really hit me in your report was not the physical abuse that takes place, but the verbal abuse and disrespect that takes place mm-hmm. that to me hit me that to me hit the button more than the physical abuse because that's the day-to-day interactions with our officers
4: mm-hmm.
0: so but the issue is we don't have a different kind of development that incorporates black population that incorporates working class people in the city who are out of work and need to build their communities along with people coming in from the outside then we're never going to get under this problem. But, but that, you're man, talking about that, the that people. Issue.
1: The people in positions of power to execute that vision, right? You have the, the mayor's new position she created is her director of strategic alliances. He is the former Baltimore County executive. Jim Smith. Right, Jim Smith, white man, right? Then she brings in a former state delegate to head operations for the city, right? A white man, All right? So, so those two positions are critical because underneath of them are the day-to-day activities, are the long-term strategic planning for the city, are the comprehensive issues that make the city go forward. Um, but the vision and the tone should be set by the majority of the folks in this city. you know, um, Dr. Lawrence Brown talks about hyper-segregation in this city, and it's just not the physical right presence in the city, but it is the mindset, it is the intellectual um, agenda that's being put on the table that is not reflective of the majority of the population in this city, which is very <clears throat> unfortunate.
3: Well, and the, the population of the city is changing, and that's intentional. Um, The city is getting younger uh, and wider if you look at, you know, who's coming in. And if you look at a lot of the development that is happening, you know, who is it being developed for? It's not being, there's not a lot of development for the poor and the needy. There's a lot of development for those that already have and want more. And I mean, it, it's a, and this is a real tension in my own household. Uh, you know, Ralph speaks a lot about the minimum wage. And and um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's. we talked a lot in the last hour about the divide. And there's a, I think there's a real divide in the city still. And it, it's at, we're at risk of it being even more divided. Um, people have a lot of needs. And I, I hear it you know being on the liquor board is is um, you know it, it's one thing but when you actually go out and talk to the people that are impacted by our policies and our rules and regulations what i hear is a cry for help people just want to live they want to they, they're not even talking about living well or or high on the hog they just want to live day to day they want to be able to be in their home they want to be able to sleep at night they want to be able to get up in the morning and go to work um, the big thing I hear is people want jobs.
0: <laughs> so we're going to take a short break. come right back, and we're going to get to the phones here. Let Ray have your say and get to the phones. And Ernest, Terrence, uh, Hank, Shannon, we're going to get your calls as well. 410-319-8888. Stay with us. We shall return in just a moment. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner. Baltimore, Baltimore, wherefore art thou? Where are we going? We are here with Dana Moore, a member of the City Liquor Board, Ray Kelly, Director of Community Relations at No Boundaries Coalition, Kim Trueheart, Citizen Activist, and you all at 410-319-8888. Write to us here at talk at steinershow.org. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. Uh, what I, I, I want to get to the phones here right away, but let me... Let you have your say, Ray. And what we ended up talking about was doing the break was questions of, of race, who gets appointed, uh, and how that makes a difference, what difference does it make. And we ended up talking about how it's important for white and, I say, black millennials, professionals moving into Baltimore. That's a good thing. It doesn't hurt. It. That is a good thing for the city. Mm-hmm. But... It has to be done in a way that benefits all the people in mm-hmm. the city so everybody comes up and they're not displaced. Right. That's the issue, Ray Kelly, to me. And, and that's what
2: we we know from world experience that the only solution to negative gentrification is preemptive integration. So we we have to kind of keep a scope on the communities that are prospects for development. Like Dana said, there's – a push to kind of demolish and redevelop in these blighted and lower-income communities. And naturally, we know that the people that are living there because it's a low-income community are moved out of the process, where there should be more of a push to kind of rebuild the neighborhoods from within, kind of focus on the assets that are already there. And have a mixed community like it used to be, or we will suffer gentrification and the problems that we have in West Baltimore are gonna be moved to a neighborhood and we're gonna have nice houses on Stricker Street. So it'll be that repetitive motion unless we kind of stand up now while we see it coming.
0: Which means more cri- more displacement, more crime. Exactly. <laughs> As we talked about last week on the show, we looked at housing courts that, <clears throat> When people suffer evictions, they have to move from home to home with children. Those children are adversely affected socially and psychologically. They they get in trouble in school because they can't keep up. They become the kids in trouble with the law, and we create this cycle, and that has to end. That's the
1: policy that is put in place. If the policy that's put in place understands that that policy will impact the lives of our children, right? That rent court disproportionately affects black families, um, single parent household families, right? Creates this dynamic where they're constantly in motion because they can't create stability for the family right but that's a policy that we put in place that we allow a judge to make those kinds of crazy, crazy decisions I, it, it goes yeah. to the liquor board as well you know what kind of
3: policies are we creating right well you gotta have I, I know you want to go to the yeah, first you got you've got to have the right people right. in place right. that are not just making the policy but are making sure that the policies are fair that's right. and that uh, when I mean that's one of the things that drives me the most nuts about you know the liquor board are unfair Fair and uneven application of policies, so we fight against that. We we work. I'll just speak for myself. I work very hard to make it fair. But in terms of, um, you know, the the rent court, you got to look at the landlord lobby. They're strong. Mm-hmm. They're strong. They got what they want. Yep. Yep. And liquor lobby is the same way with the liquor well, lobby. Yeah, I
0: I could, <laughs> I could talk all day about the liquor lobby. We'll do that another day. Another day. <laughs> we <laughs> will do that though. All right. Four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Earnest, you've been holding on. You're on
6: the air. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. If black people on juries are not able to find police, like in Oklahoma, guilty, of shooting the man with his hands up in the back, if they're not able to find the police that shot Amadou Diallo, shot at him 49 times, or the young man that was shot by a security guard, In Florida what make you think that a civilian review board is going to be any different if black people cannot it's going to confirm a police commissioner that kidnapped a a a 16 year old boy take him out to another jurisdiction assault him don't make a report as a sergeant and then come to Baltimore and be confirmed as a police commissioner? Black people and the city council confirmed him. So what difference does it make if you have a civilian review board? I, I sat on a jury one time uh, as a law enforcement officer, and I was appalled at how these black people were acting on that jury. I had to explain from A to Z, what happened, so that they could understand what the police did and what the what the white defendant did? They didn't want to find the guy guilty. So I mean, you crying about a civilian review board? I, I mean, it's nothing's going to happen. This is their country. This is white people's country, and they say we're not going to find police guilty. And and one other point, I like to make. You had a, a in a previous show. You had a person uh, that's a college professor voted for, Jill Stein. (laughs) Jill Stein, and now we got Beauregard Sessions, and you think uh, we we got Donald Trump, uh, and and you think that black people are serious and he's not even challenged? A vote for Jill Stein was a vote for uh, uh, Donald Trump. He can't figure that out.
0: All right. Well, there are right. lots of different ways to look at this, oh, Ernest. Let me, let me just let's attack what he just said, moment. I mean, if you look at the Amadou i mean, I don't know all the juries you talked about. I know in the Amade, Diallo case, the case was not even tried in New York City. They moved it to Albany in a mostly white jury that mm-hmm. let the police go. So let's get—I don't yeah. know if the others, but so, it's so a false narrative here. Listen, right. I, so, but I hear also the frustration of anger in what mm-hmm. Ernest is saying and his analysis
3: yeah,
1: but uh, so we have a responsibility from a civic responsibility perspective to educate the public, right? And so Ray spends a lot of time educating the the folks in West Baltimore about what their rights are, what their responsibilities are. and and intentionally, you know, we've dumbed down the school system. There is no social studies or civic classes being offered to our children. And so we expect them to go perform as as capable adults, and we haven't done a daggone thing to prepare them academically, socially, um, mentally, to take on those responsibilities.
2: And, and I think that's the worst thing we could do is nothing. Like Kim said, it's it's now about, filling the gap and mm-hmm. educating and empowering our people. A lot of people don't really recognize that the biggest part of our efforts in the past few years has been this whole voter registration and getting people out to the polls when we take it from a different approach of we don't have candidates. We have an agenda. We have this is what our community wants to see in place. And That's the key to actually changing this city is we need to identify the right people for these offices and we as a people, Need to lift them up. Right. Out. Mm-hmm.
1: It is our responsibility to have civilian oversight of our government at every level, not right. just the police, but every aspect of our government demands. The Constitution says, "Get up off your butt and see what your government is doing." You have the right to do. Well, that. you
3: own it. I mean, right. it's 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 our government, and I can tell you that the citizen comment and citizen voice impacts. I'll just speak for myself. It impacts what I do as a local board commissioner. It it does. I hear it. I know that it makes a difference. And I think the great... It may well be that the the Civilian Review Board is an epic failure. It doesn't deliver any of the... Promises that that it appears to hold. But you know, the greater sin would be to do nothing. The greater sin would be to not have it. The greater sin would be to assume failure and not try. I believe it's going to work. Me
1: too. And
2: and I always say that when they kind of segregated us and put us in these red line neighborhoods, that they put us there with the biggest weapon in the world and we haven't used it yet. And that's our votes, where even tripling. Voter turnout in Sandtown, Winchester only brought us to 23%. Where if we use that weapon and we vote and be civically engaged, we can actually change the way this city is structured.
0: 410 319 88 continue your thoughts. Just got a couple calls in a row. Terrence on the air. Hello, oh,
4: thanks for uh, taking my call. Good morning. Uh, I just wanted to, to make a comment. Um, I personally believe if we want to a better Baltimore. We actually need to return ownership to our communities, and you know assist people who want to be owners in regards to businesses, homes, and things of that nature. Because the true power is ownership, and once you have ownership, you can determine you know that the structure of your community, you can determine the um, the culture of your community. And I think what we have in Baltimore too often is people that own these communities. Don't live and barely even, you know, visit the communities in which they own property and things of that nature. And the city will, it seemingly, and I, you know, I don't know the exact numbers or anything like that. It seems as if the city of Baltimore would prefer to give assistance to real estate developers who build these high-rise condos, uh, multi-million-dollar condos <clears> that you know only have a you know forty percent occupancy rate, versus helping someone who wants to own maybe a smaller unit such as, you know, a four-unit building or something like that, was actually vested in the community. And I think that if, like I said, if we give that, that power of ownership back to our communities, I think you'll see people policing their own communities more than we see it right now.
3: So it, I don't know if anyone here is familiar Dana with... Moore. Uh, Dana Moore. Uh, Dana, No, that's right. That, I'll that say that your Dana? name. Got you. Oh, okay. So th- the Transformation Zone initiative that the mayor has, has um, started, and it really is looking at some of the most challenging neighborhoods that have historically received no government attention other than the police department and they're actually going in and looking at what what does this little you know two or three square block need in terms of services and then applying um, a consortium, a constellation of city services to those areas. The whole goal being to literally transform block by block some of our most challenging areas. Now that's that's novel, I don't know that that's been done before. It's early, I don't, I mean they're not yet results to, to share but it's a, it's a very good approach. Um, it's um, the other thing, I mean, not everybody should be an owner Not everybody can be an owner, but everybody who lives in the city should be getting the benefits of um, our our, uh, government services.
1: I go back to educating the community. You know, um, the consumer is the issue here. And so we as consumers consume some good stuff and some bad stuff. And, you know, the buying and purchasing power of our community um, could have a, a, a huge impact on our communities. If we stop buying from the the corner store, the, the owner of the corner store who's bringing all of this crap into our communities and taking every dime <laughs> he or she can generate out of the community, that's a smart consumer who stops that practice, right? So how do we practice consumerism to benefit our neighborhoods, right? And, and, and how do we buy collectively as consumers? Um, our dollar is more um, beneficial and powerful when we put them together. We don't do those things. And until we learn a, about consumerism as, as a people, that benefits us, I think we're going to continue to be left out. But again, you know, I'm looking at how do we educate our, our people?
0: Back to the phones. Let's go to our folks think, 410-319-8888. Let's see your thoughts on all these ideas we've been popping out here today. Uh, let's go to uh, Hank. You're on the air. Hank, you there? No? All right. Yes, no, 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 yes. Four one zero Let's go to uh, Marie you're on the air.
7: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'll try to make this brief as I can. Um, I'm thinking about your first hour there. Uh, you, uh, our country gives two parties to vote for. And uh, people who voted for uh, Trump, they took the lessons of the two evil. You have to remember, you tell people to vote, and they end up voting for the lesser of two evils. At least I was brought up that way. Uh, And so I'll end that part. And then another thing I want to say is uh, gentrification. Uh, Midwestern City, they uh, had an area where African Americans could meet, had entertainment, barber shops, and uh, beauty shops, and so forth. And now that particular city, that area is gentrified. None of the stuff in the past is there anymore. So we have a boating situation, and we have a gentrification situation. That's all I have to say.
0: Thank you. And I think gentrification is one of the things we have to talk about over the coming months here on the what well, we have left on the show here in the mm-hmm. next couple of months. But but that also on other forums we'll be moving through um, because I think that's at the heart. When we talk about gentrification, is how we develop the city. You know, why isn't there public funds for cooperative housing for mm-hmm. people in communities mm. to build homes that they own they, that they can own cooperatively together? Yeah. They can help be given the jobs through unions to build those homes, get yes. jobs, get training, and mm-hmm. build community and have that next door and part of the other things going up in that same community mm-hmm. and keep things on even keel. If you're going to build a, am uh, uh, blocking on the name? You know, I'm talking about Co- Port Covington. That's right. Why, isn't Port, why wasn't Port Covington forced to say if you're taking public money, to make sure that poor working class people, black folks in the city, have jobs, that black businesses have a stake in that as well. And live you know, there. And, and live there. You know, <laughs> That's right? right. Yeah, absolutely. You so, know. I mean, that to right. me is at the heart of this. That's, we have to begin to change the dynamic, mm-hmm. right? Who makes the decision? And right, and right,
2: (laughs) And, and that's what I mean. I mean, we when I say the solution to negative gentrification is integration, I don't just mean black and white, I mean integration of the classes where we have low income, medium income, as well as doctors and lawyers living in the same neighborhood. There's a paradigm of perception where if this neighborhood is quote-unquote, a bad neighborhood, it's not appealing to developers until that issue is removed. They're removing it through demolition, Mm -hmm. and in that instance, they're removing whole communities as well as whole cultures. And we're not focusing on, like you said, helping people repair what they have. Really, the people in our communities are kind of in this situation where they're set up from... For gentrification because of decades of disinvestment in their mm-hmm. community. So mm-hmm. they were put in this position, and now because there are two or three homeowners left on a block of 15 or 20 vacants, they can't push back. They're in a bad position where they have to leave. And then new development goes up, and this is a whole new section there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we have these things called community development corporations in our neighborhoods. Um, and they have the ability to take the neighborhood dollar, uh, build on it, right, and and create something sustainable that the neighborhood controls because the CDCs should be run by people who live in those communities, right? You know, but we've never seen them very successful. There's a couple that have been you know out there um Druid Heights is one that that is attempted but we don't see enough of that you know you look at the Pennsylvania Avenue you look at the Avenue Bakery that place ought to be you know jam packed why because it is a a, a community based investment that went on, mm-hmm. right? It's hired people in the community. It took a blighted property and turned it into something valuable, right? It, it serves a function, a necessary function. And we got to support those kinds of businesses. We don't see them spring up often in our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And that's a shame because we don't know how to be good consumers.
0: Let me try and call him before the end of the hour. This has been a great conversation, 410-319-8888. Let's go to Tim, you're on the air. Yes, good afternoon, everyone. Good morning, Tim. Mm. So, so I just came into the conversation when you were talking about
2: the Citizen Review Board, and it, uh, you, know, you talked about how weak it was, but it made me think of the Liquor Board. And I understand there's a woman on the panel that's the commissioner
6: from the Liquor Board. And my question is, why are liquor stores allowed to stay open um, from maybe 6 in the morning to 2 in the,
2: uh, in the morning. And uh, also to, I know there's a rule that they're supposed to have a lounge area, and we all know that they go around that by just opening up to people from the neighborhood mm-hmm. that just hang out in there. Yeah. And enforcement, at best, is, is lax. I mean, why, why, why are these, these, these uh, businesses allowed to basically prey on the, some of the poorest, poorest neighborhoods and, and be allowed to have these kind of practices without any oversight?
3: Well, it, um, this is Dana Dana Moore. Dana Moore. Um, I guess I'm, I'm wearing my commissioner hat at this moment. Uh, the the state law allows for a certain type of license, a BD-7 license, where you can open at 6 a.m., close at 2 a.m., uh, which is a very, very long time to be selling. Um, but they're also um, allowed to be open on Sundays. They're supposed to have a lounge related to that. And what we see often um, or, or often enough at the legal board is we will send in an inspector or a tester to try to get into the lounge area, and they're told, well, the lounge isn't open right now. Well, that's a violation of the law. They will get cited. They will come before the board and and explain what happened. You get a whole range of reasons why at that moment the lounge wasn't open, but the bottom line is there's no acceptable reason for the lounge to not be open, and we will um, hear the case and oppose, um, make a decision as to whether there was a violation, and if so, impose um, a fine.
0: And but who, who makes the laws about the liquor board? state or city? State. Uh, so, so, I mean, in some, some ways it's the state that has, we have to change the laws. I mean, you know, like if you go to an upper middle class, middle class neighborhood, white or black, where there's a wine, quote unquote, wine store, it opens at 8 or 10 o'clock in the morning and it closes at 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Right? It doesn't say, it's not open from 6 in the morning to 2 in the morning.
1: I am you're, so you're, proud so, of Howard Park. Howard Park went down to Annapolis this past session. We have technically one liquor store, right? And it's on the corner of Gwyn Oak okay, and Liberty, Liberty Heights, Heights right, right? Yeah, it's called the 4 G's. The 4
0: G's, have been there forever.
1: Our, our legislators crafted a bill that said any liquor store within these boundaries has to open at 9 and close at 9 it
0: passed it It passed we
1: the one liquor store in my neighborhood five blocks from where i live will now change its bd7 operating hours right which used to be till 2 a.m it will now open at nine close at nine like Mm -hmm. normal stores right Right. (laughs) because what happens in poor
0: neighborhoods is this becomes a way to prey on people that's right prey on addiction uh, and and the, I mean the only service you have is a, is is a liquor store that sells the worst side food product yeah. and the cheapest liquor, mm-hmm. and you know and it, it just preys on the community. It used to be the argument, oh, well, 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 don't poor black folks have a right to buy liquor when they want to? That's not the that's not the issue that's right right, yeah. right. Yeah. well see, right.
3: see that's not the issue and some some <laughs> of the places are, are have been there for a very very long time and I yeah, need to go and, well and, and see <laughs> we could see you you say you say that but you know you're talking about an ownership interest um some of them are not operating within the law we want to know about those you know uh, the the, 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 a lot the dry are.
1: cleaner doesn't stay open till 2 a.m right <laughs> the auto repair shop doesn't stay open till 2 a.m the most horrible business around stays open till 2 a.m now when and, they and want to respect that? because we've why allowed that, that. Well, we've allowed that and we're it. changing it and there's we're changing it that that the businesses in our residential neighborhoods will be respectful businesses you will be a good neighbor but, but you I will mean, not, but you right. Can
0: say, I mean, if you're a restaurant or a bar, you have a right to stay up until 2 o'clock in the morning. Exactly.
3: It's not a right.
0: No, no, no. If you're a th- restaurant th- no, or a bar, you not have a right, a right to, Well, by no, law. No, no, come on. Well, it, it's the, a law. The, and it, people have a right to, I mean, it, there's a the difference between having... You can having,
1: open your business, but it is not a right to be disrespectful in the neighborhood. No, but to, to, t- to be... To, no. So you can do... You can operate any business, but if if
3: you are disrespecting the neighborhood, right, there are laws against that? that. So the the this, the disrespect isn't the hours of operation it's what it's the operation itself it's what happens at that licensee it's what happens you know when what's happening by the people that go in there the people that come out it's how they operate so i, I can tell you this is this is a discussion i would love to have um, I would love to have a fulsome discussion about it. There are a lot of views. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of strategies that have to be brought in. I think communities have to be empowered and informed <sighs> about educate. how to fight these. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, there's, you know, there are ideas about how how to do that. And I do believe the liquor board has a role in it. And I might be the only one that thinks it. No, but, but I, think I believe that the liquor board has a responsibility. Um, th- th- there are there are licensees that are a very negative impact. So you know, there's a task force that's targeting, and I mean targeting. Good, you know, bad licensees. Yeah, and, they, we, and we have
1: to, you know. So s-
0: so I think that'll be a discussion that we can get into in another day because we're almost okay, out of time. We? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, should. we need to, and right? We,
1: because that directly impacts the quality of life in our, in many neighborhoods.
3: I think a bad liquor licensee can bring a whole community down. Mm-hmm. I, I, I firmly believe
1: that. Or when you got five of them in one
0: block. And
3: if you got five <laughs> in one block, <laughs> yeah. it's a recipe for, for, for really bad things happening. And and, and there needs to be changes. Well, I, I,
0: first of all, I want to thank all of you for being here. It's been a great conversation. It's been really lively and invigorating. I think uh, good perspectives. Dana, Dana Peterson Moore, Ray Kelly, and Kim Trueheart. Uh, it's always great to have you on the studio. It's really been good. Been Thank, you. Thank, been great you great. Thank you. Thank you very much. a pleasure. are incredibly powerful, wonderful community servants, and I appreciate what you do for our city.
3: As are you, yeah. and, Thank and, you. Your, and your voice is going to be very much missed. Well, it's a bit much of, it is missed. a
0: bittersweet moment, and you know we are going to be. It looks, seems like going dark. Not seems like we're going to be going dark here after July thirty first. Uh, but we'll talk about more about that in the coming months. Okay. Um, and uh, I just want to say again farewell to a man who's now just walks in the house here across the glass. Mark Gunnery has been our producer here for the last five years. Yes, Mark. Uh, He walked into this job uh, as someone who uh, knew, as we say, there's a Yiddish term, he's a bupkis. It was very little about radio. He knew nothing. (laughs) But he knew a lot about audio. He knew a lot about creativity. He was a serious community activist uh, and a political activist against racism and more in this community. Uh, and has always been this kind of stand up person, which interests me as somebody who could be a great producer. At the time, he was a fishmonger in a local supermarket <laughs> and came working for us here at the Mark Steiner Show as a producer. He's now a senior producer of the Mark Steiner Show, he has helped redefine the show over these last five years and define the program, uh, has done an incredible amount of work, mm-hmm. uh, and is now leaving us. Uh, to go work at WAMU in DC, well, he'll be a producer Koji. Uh, uh, on the Kojo Namdi show Wambi. and working with other aspects in, at WAMU. And uh, so, I wanted to first take some time here in the course of this conversation to bid him farewell and good luck. Uh, we think a great deal of him, uh, and we will miss him. Uh, yeah. And we have okay. a let's give him a little round. Here he's coming. Hey to the studio. Mark! Hey Come on Mark! Mark. Oh. up in a second. We've got the two minutes we got left here. we well, a minute and a half, so. This are You are off to new lands. I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and came in here today to say goodbye to the staff.
5: Yeah. I'm really going to miss everybody. It's been really great being here. It's such a beautiful station, beautiful staff. And, yeah, it's very sad to say goodbye to everybody.
0: And this is, I will say, this uh, I'll be posting a video that the staff made for my birthday last week uh, that shows the kind of power of love that's in this, in this, in this station. Uh, that this has been, for me, I said it before, I'll say it again, the, the best working family I've ever worked with in my entire life. So, oh, Marcella part the bass in the house. Uh.
2: Mark, I could not let the day go by without thanking you publicly for the great job that you have done here with the Steiner Show and with WEAA. It has been a pleasure watching you grow over these quick five years. Mm-hmm and uh to know that you know you had no idea what you were doing when you came in the door <laughs> 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 to see where you are now and to know where you're going you know it's it's simply amazing but you are one of the best producers that i've ever known and uh Amen i'm looking to forward that. to great things for you my heart so from all of us here at weaa godspeed and uh we, uh we we look forward to great things coming to you and we're glad to know that you grew up right here
5: Thanks, Marcellus, and thanks for your mentorship, yeah. and thank you, Mark, for everything.
0: Good to have you here, brother. So we're gonna celebrate Mark a little bit at the end of the hour here. Had to do that because uh, uh, tomorrow will be a, some of our shows. will be pre recorded tomorrow to make sure that Mark had a chance to uh, be heard and seen in public here. Well, not seen—you nobody can see you but us. But <laughs> <laughs> something nice. It's a good thing. No, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> Face made for radio. Thank you, Mark. No, no, he doesn't. Is he? he has a lovely face. So good to have you here, Mark. Thanks, Mark. you, Mark. You have been an incredible producer and I'm gonna miss you a lot. So it's good to have Thanks you, you, you too. here. Thank you. And thank you all for listening in always, and probably we can get to every caller called in and Dr. Burke is calling in to want to thank do we we don't have time for that, do we? No. I want to personally thank Mark. Uh, but uh, you can do that as soon as we get off the air. The Mark Steiner Show is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our senior producer is still, until tomorrow, <laughs> Mark <laughs> Gunnery. Our producer is Imani Spence. Our research producer is Calvin Perry. Our production assistant is Nadia Romlagan. Our engineer is Andre Melton. Our theme music by War Matthews of Clean Cuts. Please send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org. and to podcast the Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends. Visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.